probability that one or more team members may be infected by intruder organism. 75%. If intruder organism reaches civilized areas, entire world population infected 27,000 hours from first contact. Welcome to The Thing Minute Podcast, where we discuss John Carpenter's 1982 science fiction horror masterpiece, The Thing, one minute at a time. I'm Harper W. Harris from harperwharris.com, and joining me this week is... I'm James Stacy. I'm a writer-director based out of Atlanta. Uh, I've worked with Harper a couple times in the past, and The Thing is one of my favorite horror movies, if not the favorite. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, like you said, we've worked on a couple of things in the, in the past and, um, just, you know, in between, uh, in between takes and stuff, definitely get to nerd it up about our favorite sci-fi and horror movies and stuff like that. So, you know, I figured you might be a, a good one to, uh, to have on the show. So cool. So today we're talking about minute 16 of the thing. Uh, minute 16 begins with continuing the kind of eerie shot moving through the medical room that we finished off with last week and goes all the way one minute later to the helicopter flying by as, as um, Dr. Copper and McCready head towards the Norwegian camp. So I think this is a, one of the better minutes in the movie, actually. This is, you know, outside of some of the big special effects heavy uh, moments that people remember. Um, I think this has got some of the most important and, and some of the coolest kind of ominous stuff going on. It's a, it's a very creepy minute of the movie. For sure. Yeah, so uh, we start with that kind of creepy move down the through the medical room, which is very like, I think we talked about it before, but very kind of Halloween-esque a little bit and, and reminds me too of, you know, stuff like The Shining and Alien. Just, you know, there's no characters. It's just that kind of, just the movement of the camera and the lighting and the, the actual space to kind of provide a mood, which is pretty cool. Both of us work, work on set and in film, so that's that's one of those things you don't, Probably on set, you don't think very much about just kind of these empty shots as making such an impact, but you know it definitely does in this movie. Mm-hmm. It sets up like how just quiet and lonely and dark this place is so well, and then like the later shots just in the helicopter set up just how far away and isolated they are that they have to fly a helicopter for a good minute just to get to the nearest human beings, and it's just. It's why this movie is such a great master at being just that isolation. We're all alone out here. It's only us and this thing. Yeah, the the isolation bit is something we we that keeps coming up when we're talking about this movie. And that, yeah, especially this this first act of the movie, they really do a good job of kind of just setting it up as you're kind of introduced to these guys who are really interesting and and at times a very kind of fun group of guys. But you you get the sense very quickly that how just kind of alone they are which definitely, you know, sets up the plot in in terms of the, you know, there's no help coming necessarily, but also, you know, it just kind of sets up uh, this feeling of hopelessness, I guess, or dread, just because there's, they're so isolated again, <laughs> is, is really the best word to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. So we go from there, we see, uh, see the rec room again, that's uh, sitting empty now. And, and then we get uh, one of my favorite shots of the movie, actually, which is of the dog very slowly and very kind of intentionally making his way down the hallway, which is as just a fantastic shot. And one of those ones that, you know, plays super well in the movie, but, you know, you don't really, most people probably don't really think about how difficult that was to shoot. 
just to get this dog to cooperate and act exactly in the way they want it to and not to look at the camera. I think I read that this was something they want. This shot in particular was one that they trained for months with this dog to do, which is crazy to think. Cause you know, it's, it's not a hundred percent like integral to the plot. They could have left this out and it would have, you know, the movie would have still made sense. So it's, you know, it's one of those, another one of those things. It's a credit to John Carpenter for, for sticking to his guns. And, and, you know, even though this was probably really difficult and, and even costly given how much time it took to, to accomplish, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons why I chose this set of minutes is just how great they got that dog to do exactly what they needed. I mean, most of the times animals trained in films, you can kind of see their attention is just off screen with somebody's got a treat or something. But this dog looks like he's specifically <laughs> going through the hallway stealthily and just he's such a sneaky looking little dog. And it's just great how he pauses at one door mm-hmm. the other the the guy at the shadow and the next door catches his eye so he moves over there he pauses at that door before going in and it's just so great that i think most directors would have just filmed him walking down the hallway and going right in the door but carpenter filmed it in such a better way where it's suspenseful and all you're doing is watching a dog walking down the hallway yeah i mean i, th- I think you're right i think in a in a lesser movie with a lesser director this would have been cut up a lot too, um, and not just this kind of single shot that we get. We'd, we'd probably get Jed, uh, the dog poking his head out the door, and then you know maybe a shot of him looking in the other door, and then a little shot of him walking a little ways, and then another shot of you know over his, the dog's shoulder looking into the the room with the shadow or something like that. But the fact that we get it all in one shot is you know it sets it up as a little bit more real for one, but it also definitely gives that kind of suspenseful feeling and and really builds up the character of the dog too. Like you said, it's you know, the fact that he was walking so slowly and he's not just, he doesn't really have like a destination. He's not just walking through the hallway. He's like looking for something and looking in each door to see if he can find what he's looking for, which is really cool. Really makes the dog feel like a character and not just a plot device in the movie. Yeah, he's definitely stalking them for sure. Yeah. So yeah, this, and this shot with the, uh, the, the man's shadow on the wall is definitely one of the most debated things about this movie too. So this is a, an interesting one to talk about. Because you can you can really based on what happens later in the movie, you can really speculate on who this might be. Because obviously the the intention is to imply that whoever this is, they're maybe the first person to get infected. Because they're you know the dog is purposely seeking this person out and is and you know the person is presumably alone. So you know there's a lot of speculation as to who it could be. I was doing some research on it, and it's kind of funny that I think it. I, I want to say John Carpenter intends it to be Palmer, but is pretty vague about it on purpose. Yeah. Either Palmer or Norris. Uh, and you could definitely make a case for that shadow being either one of them, I think, just because the the shape of the hair and everything. But it's funny to know that uh, on purpose, John Carpenter chose not chose somebody outside of the actors to be the shadow so that it wouldn't be exactly look like somebody on the cast so that shadow i believe is of uh dick warlock who's one of the the main stunt guys who as we go through this podcast i'll point him out a lot because he shows up as as doubles and as as shadows and as just people's hands and things like that a lot um from what i've read which is kind of funny um just to to see that he he um he appears in the movie almost as much as some of the main actors which is kind of funny dang but uh, yeah, this that that shot of the shadow is definitely one of the ones that that comes up all the time on on thing uh, you know message boards and and discussions and things like that. 
It's definitely just the right amount of ambiguous that you think, is that Palmer? Is that Norris? Is that Windows? It's They, they picked the perfect person to have that sh- every man kind of shape head, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's a good good head shape for, for Carpenter to choose. And and it's it's cool too because uh, it's interesting to note that in the script this is it's much more explicit what actually happens here. It doesn't say who is attacked. It's still a mystery, but it says you hear a man's voice that you can't tell who it is say "Hello, boy" to the dog, and then just from the outside in the hallway you hear glass breaking and muffled scuffling, and then the door just slams shut. So you like know somebody's been attacked, although you know at this stage of the movie you don't know anything about the thing being, you know, something that takes over people or or, or even that it's a, a monster. We just, you know, just based on the the way that the dog is shot, we know that there's something mysterious and, and maybe dangerous about this dog. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting. That I, I think it works much better here in the movie where it's, you know, it's left a lot more up to our imagination what actually happens with this dog. It's much more, um, it's much, obviously it's subtler, but it's also a little bit more suspenseful that he just kind of walks in and you see the shadow turn around and then we don't know what happens after that. Yeah, it's a great choice for whoever decided to make it that keep it just what it was. It wasn't, you don't hear screams, you don't hear glass shatter, the door doesn't slam. It's all very, very suspicious, very mysterious. Yeah. Keeps great with the tone of the first act of the movie. Yeah, this whole first act is really interesting because, you know, obviously everybody, you know, when you talk about this movie, everybody talks about the big effects sequences and the monsters and stuff. But this first, um, you know, especially going through it minute by minute like I've been doing, it's I've really fallen in love with the first part of this movie um, in a way I hadn't before that it's just so it's so kind of classic horror movie and and so carefully crafted to to build this mystery up. It's really, really interesting and, and really well done. I mean, better, better than most most horror movies, you know, th- this is not the kind of horror that this movie focuses on necessarily. The kind of over-the-top gore and crazy effects stuff is what what gets remembered. But I think this stuff's done just as well, honestly. Yeah, this, this is the kind of horror movies I miss. The ones that take that time to build up that atmosphere, the characters, the mystery. Um, it seems like a lot of the horror movies now just go jump scare, jump scare, title mm-hmm. card. They yeah. don't. They don't <laughs> take their time. Yeah, most definitely. It uh, it actually reminds me of one of my my favorite horror movies from um, the last I don't know ten years or so. Have you ever seen um, House of the Devil? No. Ah, it's a really really good one. I definitely I recommend it. Um, it's a T West movie. Um, it came out I th- want to say like two thousand nine I think, but it's um it takes place in the eighties and is is filmed like an eighties horror movie. But the whole movie is like this part. Like it's very just kind of quiet and um and like low level creepy like just enough to where you, you get you starting to feel really uneasy so by the time it gets really crazy in the you know the last like 10 15 minutes of the movie you're so on edge that it's just that much more intense so yeah this this movie definitely does that better than most i, I think you're right i think a lot of horror movies that i end up seeing aren't like really true horror movies like uh the last things I've seen were like Cabin in the Woods and Krampus, who are, they have that more comedy element to it than horror, but they're still really good horror movies mm-hmm. just because they have that great atmosphere building and character building and world building. I mean, like most of these guys in this movie, I'll be honest, it's hard to remember a lot of their names, but you still care for every single one of them because we get to introduce to them in the first few minutes of the movie. So it's not just random faced guy number two who you know is going to die as soon as he <laughs> wants to go investigate that suspicious noise kind of thing it's it's 
characters you can care about. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think this movie does a good job of, um, you know, building up a camaraderie and a, and a great kind of, you know, you know, you kind of get the relationships between the cast members too, which I think helps. They're not just a bunch of random people isolated from one another. But, uh, you know, the fact that you mentioned world building too, I think that's one of the things the production design in this movie is fantastic too and really sets up this, the geography of the camp and just the space that these guys live in in a way that really draws you in because it's unfamiliar too. So it's something that you're kind of constantly trying to learn a little more and figure out where where everybody is and what's going on. Whereas, um, you know, most, uh, the majority of horror movies right now, it seems like we're in a, a although we may be closing towards the end of this era, I hope, the kind of like home invasion or, you know, haunted house kind of uh, kind of horror movie, which seems like about at least half the horror movies that come out now just take place in somebody's home, which is, um, you know, breeds some pretty lazy production design. And, and, you know, it's just not as exciting as getting to see something right. something totally different and, and build a whole world around these characters rather than just like, oh, okay, now, now they're in, you know, another suburban, you know, two-story house. <laughs> yeah, and most of them seem to want to focus on that, that big twist of uh, Daniel Craig was amnesia the whole time and <laughs> just stuff like that. And they don't focus just on scaring you. It's... It's the cheap jump scare, and it's the the twist at the end that's got to sell the the sitting through the whole two hours of the movie for you to have wanted to to actually enjoy it. And thing is, a lot of mystery, and I think horror needs to go back to the mystery, the who did it, who's going to do it, who's going to bite it, who's really behind it, that whole thing. Because I I I love the good mystery. That's what I'm really excited for for uh, Murder on the Orient Express because it's finally another mystery movie. But I love horror movies that try to focus a little bit more on sucking you in and figuring, having you try to figure out who's the bad guy. And that's what this one does so beautifully. Yeah, I agree. And it's and it's cool, too, because it's a movie that even though, you know, obviously in this first half, the mystery is like, what, why were these Norwegians shooting at the, at the dog? And then later, mm-hmm. like, what happened to these guys at their camp? But even after we know, like, what the thing is and what's happening, there's still a constant mystery of, like, who's who and who's actually a human and who's just pretending you know so the mystery it changes it becomes a different mystery but it's right it maintains that literally right up to the last frames of the movie so um yeah i think more than more than most um classic horror movies this one definitely embodies that kind of mystery vibe you you could probably put you know i'm sure on imdb it's it's horror and then sci-fi and you could probably put mystery as that third kind of subgenre. i I think for sure Mm -hmm. definitely so um, at the end of that shot with the uh, with the mysterious person's shadow, we get uh, one of the first just uh, fade to blacks in the movie, which um, I think we, I might have mentioned in a, in a past episode uh, when we had a fade to white. But the fade to black uh, was something that, you know, it's still it's not that common in, in feature movies now even. But even in the 80s, it was something that they were had kind of moved away from stylistically in the mainstream. And apparently um, Todd Ramsey, who edited it, got really criticized for for using the fade outs in the movie. But he really kind of stood by them in, and defended them in that he said he did it for that kind of classic movie vibe that it's like instead of cutting on the scene and, you know, you know, in, in, in writing form, that would be like, you know, just hitting enter for the next paragraph. It's more of an ellipses. You know, it mm-hmm. provides a little bit of that suspense on, uh, you know, instead of just cutting away. And, and, you know, it also provides obviously that little passage of time, too. But you know, it just gives you that much more suspense and that, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, just, it's one of those examples where the way you cut it 
makes a huge difference in the tone of the way the scene ends, I think. For sure. It's a good little outro. Like, it feels like, I think if they had done just a, a cut to black or just a cut to the stark white of the snows, it wouldn't have worked as well. I think the fade out leaves us wanting more. And then also, like, it keeps us want. It makes us want to guess, like, oh no, what just happened? What's going to happen? No, wait, we need to see what's going to happen, kind of thing. And if it just like just cut on to the next scene, then it's just like, oh, the scene's over, okay. But the fade out keeps us in that scene almost longer than comfortable. Yeah. So, um, I think it's a great choice, and I love that they threw it in there. Yeah. The editing in this movie is just great all around. Yeah, it really is, and it's. I think I might have mentioned it when we, we talked at the very beginning of the show about uh, about Todd Ramsey, but he didn't edit a whole lot of other stuff after this, which is a shame because um, this was the last time he worked with John Carpenter for sure, it's, which is a shame because I think this is one of the one of the best edited horror movies as well. Mm-hmm. It's just you know that just the whole you know obviously a lot of this movie is about the suspense and not knowing what's going on. So, but he does a, such a fantastic job of kind of amping up amping that up to you know, ridiculous levels where it's just so suspenseful and intense, you know, no matter what's going on, which we'll, we'll, we'll talk about in the next minute is something that, you know, it's a scene that is not necessary, would not be tense <laughs> or suspenseful in most movies, but the editing and the sound and the music does a really good job of kind of keeping that atmosphere regardless of what's on screen, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I think that's more or less all I had for, for this minute in particular. Um, do you have anything else you wanted to, to add about this one? I love the inclusion of uh, Superstition, which I think is uh, yeah. the second time we've heard it in the movie because we, we hear it earlier on too, don't we, from um, Nalls? Yeah, because he's rolling around on the blades, listened to it earlier in the movie. And I think it's just a perfect overture to what's going on, especially since the dog's acting so suspicious it was a great choice (laughs) and it's not like blaring in the background it doesn't play for the whole shot it's just kind of there it just it adds more it also adds to how big and empty this base actually is and you can definitely believe that something can pick people off one by one and the others wouldn't even know it yeah that's a really great point i'm glad you brought that up because you know I'm, i'm a sound guy so i i I actually really love the fact that, you know, in the pre- it's actually in the previous minute we, we have that whole scene with Nalls, you know, listening to the music and not turning it down when Bennings is annoyed with them and all that. But, you know, when we cut to that eerie shot of the medical room and stuff, you still hear the music, but it is the the guys who mixed it did such a good job of providing such, you know, all that distance. So you, you really hear how far away the kitchen is from here and how kind of, you know, even if geographically this building is not very big, that's one place where the sound really augments that feeling of isolation and, and the fact that, like you said, this monster could go around and pick people off and, and you might not notice because it, everybody's so kind of spread apart. It really augments that feeling in a, in a really subtle way, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that will probably wrap us up for minute 16. Definitely one of the, one of the creepier kind of build up uh, moments in the, in the early part of the movie. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow for minute 17. So uh, make sure you check us out at thethingminute.com if you haven't. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe in iTunes uh, so you never miss an episode. And if you like it, you can rate and review us in iTunes as well. That helps us get the show out to more people. And of course, you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter as well. So definitely check that out if you're on the social media. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of The Thing Minute. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, please go to thethingminute.com. There you'll find the show notes with links to anything we talked about on this episode and lots of other resources on The Thing. You can also find us on Twitter at The Thing Minute and on Facebook at facebook.com slash thethingminute. But most importantly, subscribe, rate, and review us in iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Check out other podcasts like this at moviesbyminutes.com and be sure to head over to starwarsminute.com to listen to the team that started it all. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Harper signing out. Harper signing out.